You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. If it sounds too good to be true, it almost always is. You should not be taking checks or packages or anything like that. If they do very little to really verify your identity, I would always say that's suspicious. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me as always is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. As always, we've got some fun and interesting stories to share, and later in the show, we speak with David Shear. He's from Flashpoint, and he's going to tell us about people getting drawn in into money laundering schemes. And we are back with some interesting stories to share. Joe, you're up first this week. What do you got? That's right. I got something from Kaspersky. Okay. Uh, Kaspersky Labs has discovered the distribution of an unusual fraudulent scheme that tricks users into parting with their time and their data for nothing. Okay. So here's how this works. They create fake websites that purport to generate free gift card codes for major sites like Amazon, Google Play, iTunes, and Steam, mm-hmm. right? Those are all big places that have gift cards that are highly sought after. And right. there are some places out there that will legitimately reward you with this, but this is a scam where it comes across. They say, here's an opportunity for you to get free gift cards. Just follow this link. Okay. So when you get to the link, when you follow the link, the very first thing you're asked is, hey, you're here. What kind of gift card do you want? And you go, ooh, I like Amazon stuff. I'll pick an Amazon gift card. Right. And that's when the fraudulent mechanism is set into motion and the game is on. All right. right? What happens next? What happens then is in order to get the code, you need to prove that you're not a robot. Right. Okay. So we're going to start sending you through places. And every time we send you through someplace, you're going to start clicking on things and you're going to start providing me with your information, your browsing stuff. You're going to start getting linked to third party sites, which is collecting this data. So, so just so, so I'm clear there. So they're saying that we're looking forward to giving you this gift card. But right. first, in order to do that, we need to prove that you're not a robot. Right. That's the first step. Then it gets on to where you have to go through a whole matter of web gymnastics, right? Like mm. you might be asked to fill in a form, leave a phone number, or maybe an email address, subscribe to a paid SMS service. Or maybe even install some adware, right? And all this is under the guise of proving you're not a robot. Right, and getting the free gift card Okay, Mm -hmm. as a reward. So here's what happens. Either the victims get tired of this and they just terminate it and go, the gift card isn't worth this much trouble, Right. right? But even if you've clicked on it and you started going through, you've already given up some of your data in terms of cookies and things like that. Not a lot, but if you fill in a form, you actually have given them data. Right. Right. If you leave an email address or a phone number, this is all data that's valuable that they can sell. And they're monetizing this by selling this data or actually collecting commissions for this data that they collect or the adware installs. That's what makes them the most money. An adware install can make them a couple dozen dollars. So even before they have gotten to the point of turning over the code for the gift card, they're already making money off of you because of the hoops they're making you jump through. Right. Even if you terminate this process halfway through, they've still made a profit. Mm. Right. So either people stop and they say this isn't worth it or they continue on till they get a code. And guess what? Hmm. The code is just a made-up series of characters that looks like a code from these different providers. So the gift card doesn't work. It does not work. So you get nothing. 
at the <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> you lose, sir. Right. You lose. <laughs> Right. You uh, get nothing. Okay. <laughs> well, I can imagine all sorts of people who would go down this path. Sure. Sure. Just about anybody. And, and this is what we were like we were talking about last week or two weeks ago with the allure of free stuff mm-hmm. trumping the need for people to be careful. In the story a couple of weeks ago was how the police are using it to arrest people with outstanding warrants. <laughs> right, right. But here it is happening to just about everybody. You know, anybody that, that wants free stuff. Hey, come get a free gift card. All you got to do is fill out a couple of forms and verify that you're not a robot. Well, I could really see, for example, like my kids falling for this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, anybody who has a spare time. Right. Who has more time than money. Yes. Right? I yes. mean, why not? What, what's five minutes of my time to fill out some things? And get some, yeah, and get a free gift card, which mm. won't work. And I guess also they're taking advantage of the fact that there are some legit organizations who will give you a gift card in exchange for viewing an ad or trying out a product or something like that. Yeah, there are survey companies out there that that you can, you know, if you fill out enough surveys, you actually get a gift card. But those are marketing companies, reputable marketing companies. Yeah. So they're taking advantage of that, that they're, that's sort of a cover, that this notion of getting a gift card for doing something isn't on its face illegitimate. Right. It's got, it's, that model has legitimate practice out in the real world. Well, it's good. I mean, it's one of those things. It's a good reminder to tell your kids, your family members, remind them that these things, like we always say, you know, there's, there's, you, you can't get something for nothing. There's, there's right. no free lunch. I think even the survey sites that actually reward you with gift cards are probably not worth the amount of time you put into it. Hmm. So All right. that's no, my opinion. That's, yeah, yeah, it's a good one. It's a good yeah. one. All right. Well, my story this week is actually a bit of a follow-up from last week's story. Uh-huh. One of our listeners, Ron, sent this in. Ron has written to us before. Thanks, Ron. So last week, if you recall, we proposed some sort of system where you could waste scammers' time right. by forwarding the call to some sort of automated system that would listen and string them along. Well, yes. Joe... Good news. Excellent. I'm very it, happy to hear this. Someone has already done it. Ah, <laughs> this perfect. is This is in the Washington Post, courtesy of Matt McFarland. He's the one who wrote the article here. And there is a man in Los Angeles. His name is Roger Anderson, and he started the Jolly Roger Telephone. <laughs> and it la- Yar. <laughs> He's a pirate. <laughs> exactly. And it lets users start a three-way call with the service, so you can listen in. And he's generated a bot that just rambles on. It provides positive responses to questions. He recorded himself, Mr. Anderson, recorded himself saying a variety of lines. And the system chooses them based on whatever situation it senses is going on. It's programmed to be agreeable with a telemarketer. And then if it senses that the telemarketer might be getting suspicious, it says something inane and asks for the pitch to be restarted. (laughs) So this service uh, has been very successful. Uh, According to the article, in in the the past 10 days, the number received over 100,000 calls. Awesome. (laughs) Anderson said, never in my wildest dreams did I anticipate this kind of interest in it. There's been so much support. Everybody really hates telemarketers. Well, thank you, Mr. Anderson. (laughs) There is a Kickstarter campaign, so... uh, That guy's getting 10 of my dollars. All right. Well, (laughs) we'll have a link to this story from the post in the show notes of the episode, but fun to see that, you know, we thought of it, but I guess somebody else had thought of it first, and even more important executed on it. That's, right? That is more important. <laughs> I, I am definitely giving to this guy's Kickstarter. Yeah. Follow-up is more... <laughs> ideas are a dime a dozen, right? It's right. execution that matters. So uh, check it out. It's this week's Feel Good Story. <laughs> All right, Joe, it's time for our catch of the day. 
All right, Joe, this one comes courtesy of someone near and dear to my heart. That would be my wife. Oh, <laughs> yes. She, she, she forwarded me this email and said, uh, hey, this might be interesting for that podcast that you do with Joe. And right. uh, so, you know, a few weeks ago, we had a ridiculous phishing email from uh, someone claiming to be Apple. This is another right. one that claims to be from Apple, but this one is actually quite plausible. Hmm. It looks like an email you would get from Apple. I'd say the graphic design is quite tasteful. Uh, the font choice, the uh, the spacing, all that sort of stuff. Looks the, good. The logo looks correct. Mm-hmm. So let me read it to you here. It says, Your Apple ID was just used to purchase from Apple Store on a device that hadn't previously been associated with Apple ID. You may be receiving this email if you reset your security password since your last purchase. If you place this order, you can disregard this email. It was only sent to notify you in case you didn't make the purchase yourself. And then there's a link. It says, view details here. Hmm. Now, what do you think's in that link, Joe? I don't know. Well, um, I I hovered over the link. I copied and pasted the link. Right. And the link is a whole series of seemingly random characters. But in the middle of the cavalcade of random characters, there are the words, dryerventwizard.net. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Apple is not promoting dryerventwizard.net. So, chances are, this is just linking to some adware. This is, you know, someone making some money for promoting whatever this dryer vent wizard is, which I'm sure is a completely legitimate product that will change your life for the better. Right. However... Clean <laughs> out my dryer vents. <laughs> right, exactly. So, I actually loaded this link into VirusTotal and uh, did a scan on it. You can load links over there for free. And sure enough, a couple of the uh, virus scanning systems brought this link up as being either phishing or malware. Remarkably, lots of them had it come up as being clean. But uh, huh. anyway, the the lesson here is uh, always hover over that link if it <laughs> because this one looked legit. This you know by all certainly first glance, second glance, this one wasn't as absurd as the the previous one. Right. The folks here did a better job doing their homework, making it look like a legit Apple. Email. It's missing a couple articles. You mean grammar articles? Grammar articles, right. Yeah, Yeah, like the is not in front of Apple Store. Mm -hmm. And with Apple ID instead of like with your Apple ID. Right. Other than that, it looks pretty good, though. It is well-crafted. Yeah, yeah. So beware. Like we always say, don't click the links. All right, well, that is our catch of the day. Coming up next, we've got my interview with David Shear from Flashpoint. And we're back. Joe, I recently spoke with David Shear. He's an intelligence analyst at Flashpoint. And we spoke about some of the research that he and his team have been doing, specifically about how unsuspecting people are being recruited into being money mules. Mm -hmm. Here's my conversation with David Shear. For most people, I'll say that a lot of these things that, you know, are involved in these schemes, they seem like an obvious, like it was too good to be true situation. But for a lot of these job seeking applicants, you know, they're in a place that they need a job and at times, you know, usually pretty quickly. So they're more willing to accept something that you might find suspicious. So for a lot of these things, Craigslist has always been a big one, but we've seen kind of a few individuals looking more for the recruitment platforms to leverage a, let's say, a fake job posting for any type of company you can think of, right? And when they reach out to these individuals, they actually don't need to go out and proactively, you know, send out emails or anything like that. If they have a phony listing that they set up, they have people already coming to them and that trust is already established. So if Flashpoint had a fraudster running their own little campaign of making fake open positions at our company and we're soliciting for individuals, the individuals that go to this fraudster 
then are giving information almost too easily and are willing to accept things like most of the schemes involve receiving uh, checks is what happens a lot. They'll say that, you know, you're a processor. We're going to send you this check and we need you to send it off here. Into a normal person, that should ring bells. No job typically has you just work at home and receive money and then send the money out. Unfortunately, when people receive these checks and they do get paid and they feel like, wow, okay, this is happening. You know, you receive the check. It seems valid, right? It's deposited into your account. You'll see the money show up. Now, is the check made out to them? Typically, yes, because what they're going to do is that person is then going to send the money on. And now what happens is because of the time it takes for checks to actually go through, the age old thing is that when they realize it's a fraudulent check and the transaction is canceled, you're actually on the hook for that money. So if it was, you know, you got the $2,000 in your account and they say, okay, keep 500, but send the rest on, well, you sent money from your account and now you're on the hook because once it's all come back around, you actually lose all that money. And your financial institution, it's not like a credit card or anything like that. They're still going to work to fix that, but it's much different when it's actual checks and money in an account, like a debit account. So they're receiving this money and then they're sending it on. And what does this do in terms of opening them up to you know, legal liability? So essentially, this is putting you right in the middle at times of a money laundering scheme. You know, and these are these are very common. And there's there's a lot of victims that are affected by this, not even realizing sometimes that they're affected till it's too late is this is just one of the many schemes. If you're involved in that money laundering, a lot of times, you know, there's reshipping services that leverage these mules that do the same thing. You know, you're sending off a package for this, you know, company that you think is legitimate. Well, now you're part of a reshipping scam that is sending stolen goods off to buyers who are unaware that they're buying from a, a cyber criminal. So you effectively become part of a cyber campaign without even fully realizing it till again, it, it's far too late. Yeah. And it's fascinating. I guess it put in the situation of needing to make money quickly, people sort of lower their guard or, or lower their standards and, and perhaps think, you know, well, I'll, maybe I'll just do this for a little while until I get my feet under me and, and off they go. Well, and absolutely. And I think it plays onto the, you know, when you're having people search for you, it means that they're looking and they need a job. So if someone's trying to social engineer one individual, it's much easier when they've already looked for you. They feel comfortable because, wow, this job, you know, they're interested in me. And, you know, it's, it's a great feeling, right? Well, they play off of that and they know that you want the job. They know that you want to make money, and especially when you can hear that you're going to make money quickly. And it sounds easy. Hey, we just need you to send this money on. You're going to be, maybe they mess up and say, you know, you're going to be a bookkeeper or something silly like that. Hmm. It, it feels, you know, like, again, one of those things that I'll say, it sounds too good to be true. And it is, but when you are looking for a job, when you need money at times, you know, quickly, this sounds like such a great solution. It sounds almost you know, like, thank goodness, I, I can't believe how lucky I am type of scenario. So they're much less willing to question it because why give up a good opportunity when you can believe in your mind, at least you're making a thousand dollars every time, you know, you do this or that, or why ruin that opportunity for yourself? So a lot of these people will actually put those questions away and just kind of proceed with it. Even maybe sometimes knowing something's up, they'll kind of go, well, you know, it's from this legitimate company, so it, it can't be a scam. Now, from the scammer side, what is your sense uh, in terms of the amount of churn that's going on here? How, how quickly are they burning through these victims? It can be as quick as, you know, two weeks 
or as long as maybe a couple of months. These typically aren't long-term operations because of the fact that after a while, they're, they're trying to either take so much money or the, the activity gets discovered by whatever platform they're using that it's not a long term for one person, but I could say that easily in a month, right? If you have a whole month of activity from the scammer, that's perfect. I don't need a whole year of this victim. I can get a lot of benefit from a month or even just two weeks. If I can get you to make transactions, I can get you to send stuff. That's probably just one mule for dozens or maybe even hundreds. It's, it's hard to know. So I think for the spammer, the scammer, they're typically okay with just a, a month long campaign because that's about how long someone starts realizing something's fishy. But a lot of them do act quickly too in just a matter of a couple of weeks. The bank stops, you know, sending the money. They go, hey, you owe us money or something. They get in trouble because a police officer or whatever. They, the campaign's discovered and they go, why are you sending off packages? Things like that happen pretty quickly. <laughs> so yeah. um, I'd say they're very, very relatively short term campaigns. So it's a volume play rather than being a sophisticated sort of thing. It's sort of getting in and out quickly because knowing that uh, eventually law enforcement is going to catch on. I think essentially, yes, that would be the big thing to go with here. It's it's just get as much as you can from that compromise and go with it. I want to dig into some of the details of what's going on in these dark web forums. That That's an area of your expertise. Can you describe to us what is the sharing mechanisms for folks who are you know, sharing tips with each other on how to best accomplish these social engineering crimes? How are they communicating with each other and uh, sharing what works and what doesn't? Yeah, so it's actually quite a massive ecosystem that has many parts that involve it. First thing a lot of times is how people can carry out these campaigns. There's a fair amount of tutorials out there that we've seen, you know, where it's very simple how to carry out a money mule operation. But I would say nowadays, most of these individuals are in very quiet groups and they're not as open to sharing on deep and dark web forums because they know that uh, researchers and law enforcement are consistently watching. So they're not always happy to give away those techniques. Most times when they're discussing it, they're discussing a a single part of that campaign. So if they're trying to gain access to a recruitment platform, they'll solicit for those accounts or ask how to maybe bypass any protections that recruitment platform has. Similarly, if they're trying to carry out the, you know, the bank transfer fraud, you know, they'll typically follow forms that uh, handle that type of stuff without giving away what their campaign is and asking, how can I you know, get money from here to here type of thing. So I think that when you look at it, it's actually broken up into smaller pieces without revealing the whole operation just because of the fact that that would be um, counterintuitive to what they would want, (laughs) especially in terms of OPSEC. You don't want to give away everything you've got before you've even truly started. Now, in terms of innovation, what do you all see there? When a new technique comes up, when someone figures out a new way that works, do you find that it spreads quickly through the ecosystem? Actually, I'd say that it it holds pretty quietly amongst a small group of individuals. Hmm. Not to say that some of these things don't spread quickly through some of the groups, but a lot of times if there's a really good method, it'll typically be between one and just a few, maybe five individuals that have a little group, a working group of how they carry this stuff out. And we've actually seen a lot of these groups go to things like Telegram because they can make their own private little group and talk day in, day out about some of their campaigns and techniques that they'll typically hold within those groups as opposed to, again, the forums. So it's much easier to quickly put that information out there and kind of keep that technique hidden with only the people they know, or at least they feel are legitimate fraudsters. Describe to me what goes on in terms of reputation building on these forums. Is there a hierarchy? 
It depends. Forums, you're going to see a lot of people that if they contribute a lot to the forums, they're typically more respected and have they'll be part of that higher hierarchy. You know, the uh, people respect them more. They know that this person contributes, so they have good information. And that usually works for them in a business capacity. You know, people are more willing to work with them. People are going to take what they say more often. And that person is uh, often going to receive um, techniques and good information more often just because of how much they contribute back to that community. For groups, it depends. I would say that there's always definitely a hierarchy based on skill set. If someone has been doing this for five years and they can quickly set up a campaign, they're typically in more of a leadership position. But I, I think a group also has this interesting dynamic of many a times there's multiple actors that all kind of specialize in their own little area. Hmm. So it's not just a one person's the leader and everyone else kind of scrambles to do the bidding. It's that this kind of cohesive group works together to flesh out a campaign and that each member can have their own kind of little leadership capacity. So what is your advice for people to protect themselves against these sort of social engineering attacks? So what do you recommend? I think it's kind of a multi-step process. You know, the first one is, so if you're looking for a job, it should really be through official platforms, bare minimum. I, and this isn't to say anything against regular platforms like Craigslist, and I know there's a few others, but a lot of companies don't normally advertise on those platforms. If they're looking for a regular position, assuming you're not just looking for a part-time, quick-paid gig, a lot of them are going to have on their website where they're official job postings are. And on top of that, I don't believe I've ever heard of a recruiter who's miffed by you wanting to talk more, you reaching out. And I think you can reach out to other recruiters in that platform if possible, or reach out to any type of support line. Maybe you'll know very quickly if these are valid employees. And I don't find that you'll be in too much of a, a bad situation to just go and ask for more clarification. Hmm. You know, if you're so quick to accept that the person you're talking with is an actual employee of this company, you know, they should always be talking to you from a company email. How many people are willing to accept a Gmail address for a enterprise is kind of astonishing sometimes. So, you know, the things that should add up should always add up. But again, email, the person is someone that's maybe on LinkedIn that you can verify their identity really quickly without the concern of, just hoping because they came to you from this platform and say that they're that person, that it's a legit thing. But if it sounds too good to be true, it almost always is. You should not be taking checks or packages or anything like that. If they do very little to really verify your identity, I would always say that's a suspicious thing to me. And I would never, ever, ever go forward with that. Most jobs will at least fly you out or want to discuss more with you, see your face. <laughs> and even in a, a very digital world, you know, most organizations still want to verify your identity and that's kind of the concerning part is if someone's so willing to just kind of push all that aside and give you a job right away with very little onboarding, very little process, you know, you can probably rest assured that many a times that's it's a fraud. It's a scam. Just use your instincts. I think people know better. They just want to push those instincts aside sometimes. It's, it's sort of a sad double whammy in that, you know, these folks are targeting people who are kind of hitting them when they're down, when they're weak, perhaps desperate for some quick money. Unfortunately, I think that's the best way to describe it. A lot of these cyber criminals know that it's not a nice thing to do. They don't wake up going, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to be a great guy today and scam someone out of their money or their job or whatever it may be. Unfortunately, it's it's always the good people who get caught up in things like this. And for very little recourse, a lot of times this happens to a lot of people. And there's just too many cyber criminals doing this type of activity that sometimes it is nauseating that, you know, people are so greatly affected by it without sometimes as much coverage as I believe it deserves. The 
best target for most of these types of cyber criminals that are carrying out these campaigns are actually enterprises. Many people think that it would be easier to maybe fool a small business because maybe they don't have a web presence and so on. But actually, enterprises are so diverse nowadays, so spread out that a recruitment office in Florida for a company may not ever talk with a recruitment office in Georgia. So it's easy for some type of fraudster to kind of go in, start making fraudulent postings. And, you know, if the security team is not up to par and not always looking for this type of recruitment fraud, it's very easy for them to get away with this without a company ever realizing realistically, just because they're so spread out and they don't know what their other offices are doing. So I think that's kind of been the weird thing to witness is a lot of spread out activity with very little oversight and very little detection because of that, you know, large scale enterprise type of uh, environment. That was a great interview, Dave. Thank you. I really thought one of his most salient points was that trust is established when you post the ad. Mm-hmm. Right. That just by seeing the ad, somebody has already started to trust you once they start responding to them, hmm. responding to these ads. Yeah. So if I'm a scammer and I post these ads and somebody sends me an email responding to it, then I know I've already got some kind of clout with this guy hmm. or girl. Mm-hmm. The fact that they are responding means that the ad was good enough. Right. To hook them. Right. And have you ever been on a job hunt? Oh, it's been a long time. I was laid off from a defense contractor a a number Mm -hmm. of years ago, and I remember the looking for a job part, and I spent, you know, probably two months looking for a position, Mm -hmm. and the rejection is just an overwhelmingly depressive force in that process. Right. So when you reply to one of these ads and you get somebody coming back who is telling you, hey, you you might be just what we're looking for. We're really happy to hear from you. And they start giving you all this positive feedback. They have your undivided attention. Mm, that emotional aspect. That's is, right. It mm-hmm. is It yeah. is very powerful. I can easily see how people would fall for this mm-hmm. and be willing to suspend a lot of disbelief for themselves. It is a sickening, <laughs> a sickening occurrence. I will agree with David on that one. Yeah. It's kind of just depressing and sad that this happens. You know, these people who are in a condition like this get exploited through their weaknesses. But like he says, you know, pay attention, pay attention. Are you responding to a well-known company and sending email to a Gmail address? That's probably not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And how do these companies actually go about monitoring all these different platforms for these kind of fraudulent postings? Well, and if you are a company, just a reminder that it's something you need to keep an eye on. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, thanks once again to David Shear from Flashpoint for joining us. I appreciate him taking the time. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more about them at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 